All right, let's go before the Lord in prayer and ask for his blessing. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day again. We thank you for the gospel of Christ. The wonderful news about our salvation. That because of Christ, our sins shall not be remembered anymore. For he put them away by the offering of himself. And we thank you that we've been perfected, we have been made holy, justified, accepted in the beloved. We pray that you help me to speak that which is true and faithful and help everyone to hear exactly what you would have them to understand. We pray for all the saints, wherever they are in this world, those who come and listen to our messages, even through the different platforms that you've given us. We pray for the encouragement. We pray, Lord, for provision for them in every way that you deem necessary for them. We pray for those who are not feeling well, who are of Christ, praying for encouragement for them also. We honor you, we glorify you, Lord, for this hour that you've given us. May you speak to your people through your word. We honor you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, one and all. Everybody who has joined us. This morning we are going to be in the book of Genesis. We're going to cover a number of chapters, but we're going to begin in Genesis 16. We're going to begin in Genesis 16. And this is what Moses recorded for us. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abraham, See now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar and made the Egyptian and gave her to, the, to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. After Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Then Sarai said to Abram, My wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between you and me. So Abram said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her by this, by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to shore. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from? Where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I'll multiply your descendants exceedingly. 
so that so that they shall not be counted for mult, for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man, his hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees. For she said, If I also hear seen him who sees me. Therefore the well was called Bealahai Roy, observe it is between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abraham a son, and Abraham named his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abraham. The word of the Lord. We have two titles. Number one, in the tent with Hagar. That's going to be our main title. In the tent with Hagar. And the second title is going to be Abraham, Genesis, Romans, and Galatians. And you could say in Hebrews. <laughs> or Abraham in the Bible. <laughs> we are still in Romans. We have a wonderful message if the Lord would cause it to be so to our ears. We're still in Romans, but we need to understand Abraham more that we may have a fair or better view of what Paul was teaching us in the New Testament with regards to salvation. And Abraham is a very important figure to understand in salvation history because if we don't get Abraham right, we very likely will not get the gospel of grace right. And we end up having running battles against the truth of how God saves sinners. As was happening between the Jews and the Lord Jesus. The Jews against Paul and those who preached the gospel of grace. And you also see that much of the conditionalism, and by conditionalism we mean something that you have to do to make things right between you and God. Much of that conditionalism that we see or hear in a lot of so-called gospel preaching comes from not understanding the matter of God's grace, not really defining what grace is, not understanding the covenants, the unconditional nature of the covenant of our salvation, not understanding Abraham, not understanding the gospel as God was proclaiming it through Abraham, not understanding Adam, as we're going to also find in the next chapter of Romans 5. Not understanding Adam. Not understanding Mount Sinai. 
not understanding the law, and that is Moses, as we're going to find in Romans chapter 7, not understanding the surety and representation of Christ as we have learned from the surety of Judah, the surety of even, what's his name, Benjamin. We have done a number of messages from Genesis 42, 43, 44, speaking to the surety of Christ in salvation. Not understanding the representation and union with Christ, the representation of Christ for all his people and God transacting all manners, all matters of salvation in the one person who represented all and ultimately not understanding God's glory, why God would determine to serve people this way by his grace alone through what Christ has done. And so Abraham is a very critical piece of the gospel puzzle because he is everywhere in the Bible. And so the more we understand Abraham, the more we also understand the gospel. And ultimately, we need to understand Christ, but God has put the matter of Christ also in the context of the person of Abraham. So I'm going to say this as a statement of fact. Salvation is God's investment to display or showcase his glory. That is the whole matter of salvation. That is the driving force behind it. God is showcasing the glory of his grace, the riches of his grace. Therefore, for that reason, he could never condition no part of salvation to the doing of the creature, no matter how cute that creature is. <laughs> and God was teaching this truth already in the Old Testament. And so we find the doctrines of salvation in the Old Testament that are in the New, most of the doctrine, doctrines of salvation that are in the New are not New. They actually were borrowed from the Old Testament. And so we begin here to build a context and testimony because the more texts of Scripture we have, the better for us the more texts we have to support our arguments, make our arguments from the scriptures with understanding the better we are because we will be making arguments with God's own words. So begin, unfortunately, in Genesis 15. <laughs> Let's go to Genesis 15, verse 1, where Moses says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abraham, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. After these things, is speaking to what has happened before this chapter, and that is in reference to Lord's captivity and rescue by Abraham 
Lot was Abraham's cousin. So Abraham rescued Lot. And in the process, Abraham, at the end of the previous chapter, he met some mysterious character by the name of Melchizedek who blessed Abraham. And we developed the matter of Melchizedek in our teaching in the book of Hebrews. So after these things, God came and said to Abraham, Do not be afraid. And that is very good to know that this is how God speaks to his people. He speaks peace to them. He knows that we are fearful. We are fearful because we know that we are sinners. And we are fearful because we don't know everything. But that is encouraging to us and should be to anyone who names Christ. That is, this is the way that God approaches his people. He calls them by name. Abraham, do not be afraid. Yeah, I am your shield, your defender. And defender from what? Defender from who? From all that would seek his destruction. Number one of which is sin. Christ, the defender and reward for his people. The text says, I am your exceedingly great reward. Not your works. I am your reward. So to have God as your shield is an exceedingly great reward Because no weapon formed against you shall prosper. No matter what. No matter what the context. Why? Because it is God who justifies and it is Christ who died. And no one shall curse the one that God has blessed. Because God is your defender. But reward for what? What is the reward for what? What has Abraham done or did to merit God or Christ as his reward? But this is a gospel proclamation. Abraham has done nothing. It is all of grace. Abraham, just like us, had nothing to boss about. A theme that is developed for us in Romans 4, that Abraham had nothing to boast before God. Verse 2 of Genesis 15, But Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Then Abraham said, Look, you have given me no offspring, Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. Abraham says, but what will you give me in this regard? What are you going to give me? See, I go childless. The way things are here and now, they're not looking very great for me. I have no child of my own. I have no heir of my house. 
And the one that I consider to be the heir of my house is a guy from Syria. Eliezer of Damascus. You haven't given me an offspring. One born in my own house, from my own loins. What do you have to say to that, O Lord, in respect of all that you have just said? Verse 4, Genesis 15, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. The Lord said, No, not Eleazar. He's not going to be your heir. He's not going to inherit your stuff. The heir shall come from one who is from your own body. And Eleazar, by the way, was a picture of the Holy Spirit because he superintended or took care or took care of all of Abraham's possessions. He was the property manager of Abraham's possessions. As the Holy Spirit is the property manager of all who belong to Christ. And Abraham was a picture of God the Father. Who would have a son, the seed through whom the word will be blessed. The son to whom all of God's inheritance will be given. Because Christ is going to come in John 6 and say, The father loves the son and he has given all things to him. And God saying, the matter of salvation is going to happen through an heir, a son who shall be born, born as Abraham's seed, but outwardly as God's own son, because that would be the fulfillment of that. This is a prophecy that is being made through the person of Abraham and God using his context to preach the gospel of Christ. So the Holy Spirit, though involved in the matter of our salvation, is not the heir of salvation. That is why Eliezer was not made heir. Eliezer, as a type of the Holy Spirit, speaks of the heir. He testifies of the heir. He testifies of the riches of the heir and declares them to would be the bride, the Rebecca's, the church. His purpose, his function is to go find those who belong to Isaac, declare the riches of Isaac to them and bring them to Isaac. That is his work but he is not the heir. So we are blessed on account of the heir, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 5, Genesis 15, Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. So Abraham, from being childless, would have innumerable number of descendants as the stars of heaven. 
verse 6, and he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Abraham believed God's testimony and God accounted it to him for righteousness. Verse 6 is very interesting. But it will appear like Abraham had faith in Genesis 15. But verse 6 is not when Abraham was regenerated. Abraham was converted in the air of the Chaldeans where God took him from. In Genesis 15, Genesis 12. We're going to develop that a little bit more. But what made Abraham righteous? Because we have to ask that. In the matter of all that has been discussed from Genesis 12 to this chapter, Genesis 15, what made Abraham righteous? Was it Faith as in the believing of Abraham or was it something else that was outside of Abraham? What does that mean in the bigger and fuller context of salvation, in the full testimony of the teaching of salvation? And these are very important questions to ask and answer because there's a lot of New Testament commentary on the person of Abraham, his faith, and also on God's way of righteousness. What did Abraham give to God for him to be called a righteous person? Because you have to give something that God accepts, and you have to give something that is perfect. Abraham did not shed blood because God would not call a man righteous apart from the shedding of the blood of the appointed person who is Christ Jesus. So between Romans 1 and Romans chapter 4, Romans chapter 1 to 4, those four chapters, the main subject of discussion is God's righteousness. In the gospel, Paul says, is revealed the power of God unto salvation. And the power of God unto salvation is not a gospel sermon that any preacher preaches or writes because none ever preaches a complete gospel message. For one to be saved by it. To, for God to come and say, oh, I think Katie now has enough knowledge of the gospel. Let me see if I can call her righteous. The power of God unto salvation is the crucified Christ. Christ is the power of God unto salvation. And in the gospel is revealed the righteousness of God. In the gospel is revealed the person of Christ and his cross. That's what the gospel reveals. 
the power of the gospel is in the nails card hands of Christ. Nails card hands and feet of the person of Christ. And this righteousness, God causes us to see by his given faith, we see the crucified Christ saying it is finished. That is the beholding of the righteousness of faith. In Romans 3.21, Paul says, But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God, apart from what you and I do, the righteousness of God is what? Has been revealed. Although it is testified, it is witnessed by the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets, they testify of Christ. But apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, namely, the righteousness of God, now that is being defined for us, through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. That is the righteousness of God. Through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, as he obeyed God in every jot and tittle, even to the point of death on the cross. For all who believe. He did that for all who believe. So the righteousness of God is through the faithfulness of Christ for all who believe. And all who believe is not a conditional phrase. It is speaking to the character of those that possess that righteousness of God. And that means all who believe demonstrate that God has given them this righteousness. We believe because God has given us this righteousness. We are not believing to get it. So their believing is not the reason why they have the righteousness. Cause and effect are important here. Because if none is justified by the deeds of the law, as Paul has just said, which means by nothing that they do, are doing or will ever do, then we have to understand faith differently. Faith is not our doing to get the righteousness. Faith is evidence of possession of that righteousness, not the cause. Because the righteousness was imputed without cause in the redeemed. There's no cause that God saw in me or shown for him to justify us. We were justified apart from anything that we ever did. Not even our faith itself. So justification by faith essentially means justification by the faithfulness of Christ. 
justification by something that we did not do or did not cause. So, justification by faith is not teaching about timing of justification as many think, especially in the context of Romans. Justification by faith means being made righteous by something that you did not do. In other words, by God's own doing. I've been justified by faith. I've been justified by God's own doing. God has pronounced me to be righteous on account of Christ. Because in the context of Romans, Paul is making a distinction between righteousness that is by the faithfulness of Christ versus the righteousness which is by obeying the law of Moses. That is the distinction. And there are very few preachers who have been able to see this distinction. That is the subject of discussion. Paul is making a distinction to say, oh, you Jews, you think you are righteous by your law-keeping? No. Okay, so this is the distinction. And if anyone misses that distinction, they're going to say righteousness is imputed at faith. And then they'll go to Romans 4 to try and prove it. But that's not the point. The point is that Abraham, unlike what the Jews were thinking, was made righteous by a righteousness that was apart from his own works. That's why Paul said, if Abraham had some works, if he did anything, then he would have something to boast, but not before God. So Abraham was made righteous by the righteousness of faith, by a righteousness that he did not cause. So if they, the Jews, that are in the hearing of Paul, if they should identify with Abraham as their father and be saved as Abraham was, they have to align their thinking this way. They have to change their understanding of the law and they have to understand that Abraham was saved by this very gospel that Paul was preaching to them. And this is how God has always done things. So Abraham was justified not by his faith, but by God, because God spoke to Abraham about the seed by whom the whole world will be blessed. Abraham was told of the promise. So the promise of God to Abraham was none other than Christ Jesus, the seed. Because God's promises, all of God's promises are yes and amen only in the one person, and that is Christ Jesus. Verse 7 of Genesis 15. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of air of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. God is always going to be the God who reminds you of where he has brought us from. To be brought out of something in the context of salvation, 
is to be saved by God. Israel was brought out of the slavery of Egypt. And that was salvation. That was a picture of salvation. Their salvation connotations that go with, I am the Lord, I brought you out of the heir of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit. I am the Lord who caused your salvation from this, whatever the issue, from sin, death and condemnation, and caused you to inherit my salvation. So the gospel is a declaration of what Christ did to bring us out of sin, out of death and this condemnation, out of Egypt by the death of himself. But how was Abraham to inherit it? Freely. But what land was it? What did Abraham understand of this land? Yes, God gave the boundaries of the land that Abraham and his descendants were to possess. But what did Abraham understand as to what God was actually saying to him? Let's go to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. Verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. See that Abraham left heir of the Chaldeans by faith. That's what the text says, verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed. And that happened in Genesis chapter 12. So Abraham had faith in Genesis 12. And we have Genesis 15 verse 6 declaring his faith also. But not the beginning of his faith. Because a lot of people think that Abraham's faith began in Genesis 15. But Hebrews 11 says it began in Genesis 12. Genesis 15, verse 6, was declared because God was about to make an unconditional covenant with Abraham in the manner of the unconditional covenant of our salvation. Because this is where Abraham was put into a deep sleep. He was asked by God to bring the animals and to cut them into pieces but he could not walk through the carcasses because God put him into a deep sleep. And that's speaking to the truth that Abraham was not going to cause by himself the coming of the promise, the covenant that God cut with Abraham was an unconditional covenant, unconditional covenant, which implies that righteousness is imputed in this covenant apart from anything that a person does 
because it is being imputed in an unconditional covenant. You can't put conditions of imputation of righteousness in an unconditional covenant that defeats the purpose and character of that covenant. And that is why, as I said, Abraham was put into a deep sleep so that he would not participate in the causing of the promise, in the causing of the inheritance, even our salvation, even his own salvation. His faith was in taking a nap, (laughs) taking a God-imposed nap, doing nothing, lazy boy gospel, deep sleep. So Abraham was already righteous before Genesis 15, if you're going to go by the account of Genesis 15, verse 6. Still in Hebrews 11, verse 9 and following. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise, For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So the land that Abraham was promised to inherit, this was his understanding of it. He was waiting for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And then the writer of Hebrews says in verse 18, These all died in faith not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They were assured of them, but from a distance. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland which is not Canaan. And truly if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have opportunity, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. That is the inheritance that Abraham, Jacob, and all those who came through the line of promise were looking to. They were not looking to Canaan itself. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So, all that to say, Abraham, in the conversation in Genesis 15, was not thinking of the real estate in Canaan, in the Middle East, as the inheritance that God was talking about. The land was representing something far off, something in the distance, something greater, something better, something that they embraced by faith. 
And that is the inheritance in Christ Jesus because he's the builder of the city. That is what Abraham beheld from a distance. He beheld Christ and Jesus even said, Abraham saw my day from a distance and he rejoiced in my day. And so on account of that, God provisionally, as a promissory note, declared Abraham righteous, provisionally. But as we also learn in the book of Hebrews, the distribution clause of the inheritance was to come in the will and last testament. And the writer of Hebrews says, when there is a will and last testament, there has to be proven the death of the testator, which means the distribution clause is only activated by and at the death of the testator. That is what kicks in the possession of the benefits. So we have to factor this in all this understanding when it comes to the salvation of those who came before the cross. Both the testator had not yet been given over to death. So Abraham possessed Christ in a promissory knot, looking to the coming and death of Christ. Okay? But at some point, he had to possess the fullness of Christ. Otherwise, he could not have made it to heaven. He had to possess the fullness of Christ. And this he did after the Lord had died. Because the text of Hebrews also tells us that he died without the promises. But at some point, he possessed the promises. What was the point? When did this happen? It happened when the testator died. That's when Abraham took possession. Abraham and all those who died before the cross took possession of whatever was written for them, written for all the elect in the will and last testament of which Christ was the testator. Christ was the testator. Okay? So there's a lot of overlapping detail that has to be worked out. Otherwise, we end up having to throw out a lot of text just to defend a particular position. Here, now Genesis 16, that will take us to Genesis 16. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had born him no children. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarah had not born no children for Abraham and it seemed the promise of an heir to Abraham was not going to happen. Also, there was shame in that time and community of people to not have a child of your own 
especially given that Abraham was very rich. Abraham was so rich that he had his own army. That is how he rescued Lot. He sent his own regiment. But Sarai had an Egyptian maidservant to help her with the chores around the house, run the dishwasher, <laughs> vacuum the house. And the name was Hagar. Pay attention to that. Hagar was a servant of the house, especially to Sarah. She occupied a lowly position. And for a theological purpose. Verse 2, Genesis 16. So Sarah said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go in to my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. So Sarah has high sovereignty. She says God has restrained my womb from bearing children. And if you would say that in our contemporary Christian world, people would say, no, God does not do such things. God wants to make everybody happy. It must be the devil. You have to bind the devil. You have to <laughs> decree and declare or it's your evil relatives. But Sarai tells the truth and gives the responsibility to God. And God did not come and say, Sarai, watch yourself. You need to meet the elders and repent of your position. You are making me the author of evil things. Because it would be an evil thing if I had such power. To cause people not to conceive. And in our time of social media, it will be all over the internet. Did you hear what evil things James Guyo is doing? But not with God. He has a purpose with all things and there's no unrighteousness in him. Everything is by his appointment. There's nothing that happens apart from its appointed time. We just don't know the appointed time. Sometimes God makes things so easy that we think we are in control of the process, when in fact we are not. So, Sarai expressly gives Abraham permission to go and bear a child, at least with Hagar. And Hagar did not say, not on my watch, it is not going to happen, Sarai. I still have a boyfriend that I left in Egypt. <laughs> no, she obliged. Also, it was customary for such things to happen as we have seen or will see later with the battle between Leah and Rachel, Jacob's two wives who also happened to be sisters. They would conceive, the other person would not conceive, and then to try and beat the competition, they will enlist the help of their maidservant to bear children for them. So it was not an uncommon practice. And Abraham heeded the voice of Sarai, 
And that is say, you have to listen to your wife. Abraham heeded Sarai's suggestion, or else it was the doghouse for him. So it was Hagar's tent or the doghouse, and Abraham opted for the former. Verse 3. <laughs> then Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abraham, to be his wife. After Abraham had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. Sarai then took Hagar, her servant, and gave her to her husband to be his wife, the text says. And this happened after Abraham had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. And for us who are so much into typology and gospel preaching from the Old Testament, we don't just let things like this to go unquestioned. Why tell us the number of years? Why after 10 years, not after 6 years or after 4 years? Because God is dropping gospel nuggets. Because as we see in the book of Esther, the 10 sons of Haman were hung. Ten sons of Haman. Why not nine sons of Haman? Because that's the testimony of the law. So in the tenth year of Abraham's sojourn in Canaan, he was given Hagar to be his wife. But Hagar is what? What is God's interest in this testimony of Hagar? Because to many, it seems like it is just a story. Why is she sticking around in this gospel narrative? Because she was raised to preach the testimony of another servant of Christ. That is the law. That is Moses. Galatians 4. Let's go to Galatians 4. Beginning at verse 21. Paul says, or ask the question. Galatians 4, verse 21 and following, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, for whatever reason, for sanctification, for justification, for whatever reason, do you not hear the law? Do you not understand what the law is actually saying? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bond woman, the other by a free woman. So two types of women in view. Verse 23, but he who was of the bond woman was born according to the flesh. And he of the free woman through promise, free woman gives birth to children of promise, which means of grace, which means of God's own birthing, of God's own doing, which things are symbolic in the context of the story as God pictured it. For these are the two covenants, 
the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar, and some reformed person is going to come and try to tell me that Mount Sinai was a covenant of grace. That's what Reformed theology teaches. That Mount Sinai was an addendum to the covenant of grace. That there was grace in the law of Moses. That's so true. Paul says, for these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to what? To bondage, to slavery, which is Hagar. So Hagar is defined for us. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai. That's clear teaching. I didn't make it up. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with the children. Jerusalem, which is in bondage at two levels, in bondage to Rome, but also in bondage to the law because they still were holding to Moses. And here's the contrast. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all who are the redeemed. So it matters who your mother is. It really matters who your mother is. So Hagar was a maid servant. She was a born woman. She represented what? She represented a covenant. Which one? Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is the law of Moses. The Ten Commandments. <laughs> and what does that covenant do? The text says, For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with their children. So the law gives birth to children who are what? Who are in bondage. Who are in slavery. The law enslaves to unrighteousness in unrighteousness and thus condemnation. And that is why Israel found itself in Egypt laboring under Hagar. Because Hagar is from Egypt. Laboring under Pharaoh, the testimony of Hagar, the Egyptian. And who took Joseph and sold him to Mr. Potiphar? It was the Ishmaelites. They sold him to Mr. Potiphar. They sold him to Sin. They sold him to Egypt. That is a gospel testimony. And who are the Ishmaelites? Are they not grandbabies of Hagar? They are grand 
children of bondage, children of Hagar. So what does that say? It is saying it is the law that brought Israel into bondage, into slavery in Egypt. And the only way out of that was through the child of promise who came by way of the Passover, the Lord Jesus. That was the only that is the, that was their only way to freedom through the child of promise. That is clear to me. So Hagar was a type of the law. And that is why the Holy Spirit told us that after Abraham had been in, in Canaan for 10 years, he was given Hagar. And as soon as you have Hagar in your house, there's going to be trouble. As soon as you try to get married to Hagar, you are going to have trouble in the house. And every time you bring law and gospel together, you're going to have the book of Galatians. You're going to have trouble with Paul. And many people do not know that the Ten Commandments are what is represented by Hagar. And that the Ten Commandments are the heart of what is called the Old Covenant. Because it is the Ten Commandments that were on the two tablets of stone that were in the Ark of the Tabernacle. And that ignorance is very frustrating to deal with. Because many argue from their traditions. The traditions from the Reformers but not from a faithful understanding of the, of the relationship between Sarai and Hagar, the gospel and law as God has given it, clearly in the scriptures. So Sarai apparently represents the New Testament, the Jerusalem above, that is free with all her children. All those who belong to Sarah are free by reason of the mother, we are all free by reason of the covenant that is in the blood of Christ. We are not free because we turned off our television sets. We are free on account of who our mother is, and that is Sarah. Genesis 15, verse 4. So he went in to Hagar, and she conceived, that is Abraham, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. So Abraham went into the tent with Hagar, and boom, she conceived. And I'm not sure if Sarah had done a baby shower for Hagar <laughs> and got a, a new crib and diapers and some gaba baby food. <laughs> but as soon as Hagar had the baby, she thought herself superior to Sarah. And she began to despise it. Verse 5, Genesis 15. Then Sarah said to Abraham, My wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between you and me. So Sarah is upset with Abraham. And she's saying, 
Hagar has gotten too proud to beg since the conception of Ishmael. Sarai is having apprehensions about the decision that she had made earlier about giving Hagar over to Abraham. Verse 6. So Abraham said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Abraham says, well, she's still your maid. Deal with her as pleases you. And Sarai dealt harshly with Hagar, and she fled from her presence. And this all for a gospel testimony. And God has written this script for us as a gospel testimony. And someone is going to come and say, oh, you guys spiritualize everything in the Old Testament. Well, God did. <laughs> Verse 7. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to shore. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. Why would the angel of the Lord be interested in the whereabouts and the going in and out of Hagar. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Return to Sarai and submit yourself under her hand. Don't become the boss. You are not equals. You are to submit. You are a servant to Sarai. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, Verse 10, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly, so that they shall not be counted for a multitude. Did you hear what just happened? The angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply. Who are you? What kind of angel of the Lord is that? That multiplies people. <laughs> it's Christ Jesus. It is Christ. Because that angel of the Lord is speaking as God. The messenger of Jehovah. That's the angel of the Lord in that context. So when you read the Old Testament and you see the angel who speaks directly as God, that's Christ Jesus, because it is he who mediates the presence of God. Genesis 21. And the Lord visited Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God has spoken to, to him. God visited Sarah and Abraham and did for Sarah as he had spoken, as he had promised in the time that he had promised to do it. At the appointed time, as I said in the previous message, the matter of appointed times is very important in the gospel because they kind of give us a calendar of what God was going to do in the person of Christ and also some theological understanding of the work of Christ. And Leviticus 23 gives a summary of the feast that God gave Israel to observe. And the whole idea of appointed times 
third times or feast was captured in the different feasts that God gave to Israel to observe, but their times and celebrations were anticipating the fullness of the times, the fullness of the times when the Lord Jesus Christ would come and be revealed and the work that he would do as was being preached by those feasts. So we had the Passover feast, speaking to Christ as the Passover Lamb of God to die in the place of his people to redeem them. And the same Christ being pictured in the feast of the first fruits, being the first fruit of our resurrection, Christ being the unleavened bread, bread without any influence of sin. Christ in the Feast of Tabernacles, where every Jewish male, Israelitish male, was required to bring to Jerusalem something, to come to God with something. No one, if you go and read it, it says, no male shall come before me empty-handed. Which means when Christ being a Jewish man could not come before God in the matter of the work of his salvation with empty hands. He had to bring a harvest to God. That is why I'm so adamant that Christ could not have died and then go back to God without having justified his people because that would mean that he would have gone back to God with empty hands. The hands of Christ could not go to God empty. He had to bring something. The work of his harvest, the church. So, if you say God's people are not justified until at faith, you are saying for the past, when Christ died 2,000 years ago, he went back to God with empty hands. And that is coming from people using too much logic and not using the text. Use the text. Because the truth is in the text. And you read a lot of books and then you use a lot of logic. But you're not teaching what God taught. Go to the appointed feast and God will teach you the understanding. Okay? So we're taught this in Genesis, going back to our text, Genesis 21. Abraham bore a son in his old age. What is that saying in the gospel matter? Abraham was a type of God, the father, as I said. And being old in age is speaking to God being the ancient of days. When we have men who are pictures of God the Father in the Old Testament, there's always some reference to their being very old. And when they get old, something very important in the gospel sense happens as happened with Isaac and the blessing of Jacob. Isaac was very old. And then suddenly we have the blessing that came to Jacob. So being old in age is speaking to God, being the ancient of days, 
And this is the God who bore his son according to the flesh. Through the incarnation of the Logos. Through the incarnation of the word of God. Through the word of God taking up human residence. That's what the incarnation means. The Lord Jesus Christ being born at the same time, at the set time, in the fullness of time, as Apostle Paul would put it, in the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. And Sarah, in many ways, was also anticipating theologically the picture of Mary, the mother of Jesus, according to the flesh. Verse 3 of Genesis 21, And Abraham called the name of his son, who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And this was according as God had instructed earlier, that he would be called Isaac, and God also coming through an angel, and saying this in Luke 1, 31 to 35. Let's go to Luke chapter 1, 31 to 35 to hear some account of the birth of the Lord Jesus. The angel comes to Mary and says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest or the son of the Mosai, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? So Mary, as Sarai before her, was also marveling, at the impossibility of her situation. Because for Sarah, she's thinking, oh, I'm old, I'm past menopause. How am I going to conceive? And look at my husband, he's old. And Mary says, well, how can this be? Look at me. <laughs> I do not know a man. I'm still a virgin. How can a virgin conceive? That does not make sense. My biology class does not teach that. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. So this is going to happen by the Holy Spirit. That's going to happen by God. You're going to conceive of the Holy Spirit. Genesis 21, verse 4. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. So Isaac was circumcised on the eighth day, just as the Lord Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day. But Ishmael was circumcised when he was 13 years old. I'm yet to figure out why. I'm still thinking about that. The Lord has not given me 
some theological understanding, but he will. Okay? But there is a difference. Abraham son circumcised on the eighth day and Ishmael circumcised when he was 13 years old. Verse 5, Genesis 21. Now Abraham was 100 years when his son Isaac was born to him and Sarah said, God has made me laugh and all who here will laugh with me. She also said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nest children? For I've born him a son in his old age. So Sarah is in a state of happy unbelief. And says, who could have seen that one coming for such an old couple like us? Especially yourself conceiving and nursing a child at such an old age. People will be like, are you nursing your grandbaby? <laughs> Hagar and Ishmael depart. Verse 8. So the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. So Abraham threw a big party, lavish party, on the day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham's coughing. Sarah saw Ishmael's coughing at Isaac. And I'm sure it was about the party. That was in session. All the stuff that was happening there. And most likely Ishmael had not had the same celebration done for him. So it was natural for him to despise the whole thing. And so he was coughing rude. Verse 10, therefore she said to Abraham, that's Sarah, cast out this bond woman and his son. For the son of this born woman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. So Sarah did not waste much time with the matter. She went to Abraham and said, cast out this born woman and his son. For the son of this born woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. In other words, this is the end of Sarah's relationship with Hagar and Isaac and Ishmael. Their relationship has to come to an end. Isaac and Ishmael from now onwards cannot have sleepovers, no playstations, no Legos. <laughs> Ishmael and a mom must be cast out because they are not part of the inheritance. Whatever Hagar represents has to come to an end at some point if we are going to be telling the truth. They have to come to an end. They have to be cast out. And what was Abraham's response to all this? Verse 11 and the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. Abraham had an investment in Ishmael. Like any who have investment in the works of the flesh. When God comes and says, salvation is by grace alone, they are displeased. They want to keep their son with them. The son that they worked 
in the tent with Hagar. You have to know where this son came from. It is a son that was worked in the tent with Hagar. The son that they worked in their flesh in an attempt to cause God's promise, in an attempt to cause their own salvation. The son that they worked according to the law because that's what it means to go in the tent with Hagar because we have established that Hagar is a picture of the law. So going into the tent with Hagar is to produce your own works according to the law. And much of religion, even much of what is called Christianity in many places is that which names Abraham. But behind the scenes, it takes people into the tent with Hagar. Go to the churches, or you see a lot of tents that are pitched. <laughs> it puts people under the law. You see, the works of the flesh are enticing because they, are, they seem to be producing fruit. They seem to be making Hagar pregnant and producing a lot of Ishmael's. They build confidence in the flesh. Many are impregnated. They have their Hagar's pregnant. <laughs> and people get upset when you tell them that the believer is not under the law. They are not under or in the tent with Hagar. That's what that is saying. But they come in their defense and say, but Hagar is a beautiful girl. I'm sure Hagar was still very young. Sarah was old. Hagar was still looking very good because the law is good, holy, and righteous. What could be wrong with it? What could be wrong with Hagar? Well, the law is bad for you because, number one, it is the letter that kills it bears fruit unto death. And importantly, Hagar is not the way of promise. Hagar is not the way of salvation. Galatians 3, verse 18. Galatians 3, verse 18. Paul For if the inheritance is based on the law, if your righteousness, if your standing before God, if your sanctification, if your justification is based on the law, is based on you doing something, anything, it is no longer based on promise. It is no longer based on Sarah. But God graciously gave it to Abraham through the promise. He gave it freely. Apart from anything that Abraham did. And we can rewrite verse 3, verse 18, sorry. We can rewrite verse 18 of Galatians 3 and say, for if the inheritance is based on going in the tent with 
Hagar. As was the case of Abraham. That's what Abraham was trying to do. If the inheritance is based on going in the tent with Hagar, it is no longer based on promise. But God graciously gave it to Abraham through the promise. And that is to say salvation has nothing to do with what you do. That's exactly what Paul is saying. So Abraham may try to cut corners and expedite the process. He had tried to bring his own works, his own contribution to the matter through the way that was the most convenient for him. Just get any woman and go in the tent with her. <laughs> and unfortunately, many in the professing sovereign grace camp do not understand the seriousness of this matter even regarding Christ. God is serious about this. Sarah understood the matter when she saw Ishmael scoffing at Isaac and her conclusion was and this con- and her conclusion was not I meant to say well Hagar your boy Ishmael needs to be put in some foster home or two weeks in juvenile detention until he gets better. She said, the problem is with both the mother and the son. Both need to be cast out here and now because they cannot be heirs with Isaac. All those preachers who claim that the believer is justified in Christ but is sanctified by the law, they do not know what they are talking about. They are just propagating a tradition of men, not the word of God. And if you would go against them, they will call you an antinomian, an anti-law person. In other words, you hate Hagar and Ishmael. (laughs) They are saying, by that, you get the inheritance of justification in Isaac. Because remember, the inheritance here is justification. It's the whole matter of salvation. So they're saying you get a justification in Isaac. But you get your holiness from Hagar and Ishmael. Because if you're being sanctified by The law, it means you're still taking showers or baths given by Hagar. Hagar is still giving you a bubble bath. (laughs) A lot of mercy. But Sarah does not play games. Sarah does not agree with such gospel testimony. She calls Hagar and Ishmael. She chased Hagar and Ishmael out and locked the doors and told Abraham to get over it. Like, Abraham, get over it. They are not staying with me. But God had something to say about this very matter. Let us see what God advised should be done. Verse 12 of Genesis 21. But God said to Abraham, Do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bond woman. Hear what God says. Because of your bond woman. 
<laughs> Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. She is right. For in Isaac your seed shall be called. God says, Abraham, take it easy, dude. Let that not be displeasing in your sight because of the lad and your born woman. Yes, God knew that Abraham loved his born woman. Yes, sinners love their born woman. <laughs> the works of the law. But God said, whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. She is right. Sarah has the straight-footed gospel. She is a true sovereign grace preacher. Abraham was about to mix grace and law right there. And he had to be rebuked by his wife and God himself. Hagar and Ishmael must be kicked out. In other words, the law as a servant to Christ must come to an end. And when people hear about the death of the law, they always weep. This always happens. Abraham, Hagar kicked out. He's not happy. Israel, Moses dies. They, cried, they wept and mourned for him for 30 days. So the law as a servant to Christ must come to an end. That's the point. And those who are in Christ are not under Moses. They are not. But people, not wanting to, to entirely give up on Hagar, their bond woman will say, but we do not keep the law for righteousness, but out of love. That's exactly the line. Oh, we don't do the law for righteousness. We just do it out of love. Out of love for who? For their bond woman. <laughs> not for Sarah. Because if you love Sarah, you remain with Sarah. You're not going back to Hagar. They are trying to build a condominium for their bond woman close to Sarah's house. That's exactly what they're doing. Okay, we're not really doing this for justification. It's just for the out of love. Out of no, it's out of love for your bond woman, and that is not a faithful gospel testimony. Galatians chapter four. Verse twenty-eight. Galatians four twenty-eight. Paul continues and says, "Now we, brethren." as Isaac was, are children of promise. The redeemed are children of promise. Which means they were made children by God's undoing. They were chosen of God by grace, freely redeemed by Christ, and justified apart from the law and apart from anything that they did. Verse 29, but as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so it is now. The battle between Isaac and Ishmael does not end. Even so, in this present time, the spirit of Ishmael is still alive 
and well in the professing church world. Those who claim to be of the law, those of Hagar, those who mix law and grace, those born according to the flesh persecute those born according to the spirit. The dichotomy is very clear. It's law versus spirit. It's Isaac versus Ishmael. It's Hagar versus Sarai. And say to professing Christians, the true believer is not under the law of Moses. Or, the law is not the believer's rule of life. And see their response. Whether they will be speaking in accordance with Sarah, or they're going to be wanting to keep Hagar around. They, like Ishmael, will start to mock and persecute you because they will not let go of the sandwiches and the cornbread that Hagar used to make for them. They continue to hold the memory of Hagar in high esteem. That's why they won't let Hagar go. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Verse 30 of Galatians 4. Cast out the born woman and the son. For the son of the born woman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the born woman, but of the free. We are not children of the born woman. We do not derive any benefit from the law. The law had its purpose and its time. Isaac does not need any diaper change from Hagar. He doesn't get a sippy cup or anything from Hagar anymore. He's done with that. So the born woman and her son must be cast out, cast out. In other words, Moses must be retired. And do not be afraid of being called an antinomian. It means they're telling the truth. That's just how things are. All of salvation is of promise because it is of grace. And be wary of those who are busy building tents for you to go in with Hagar. That is not the gospel of Christ Jesus. Ishmael may be cute, but he is not the child of promise. Also, remember Abraham. He was declared righteous, not, account, not on account of works, but by the righteousness of faith the righteousness that he did not cause. That was yet for him because Christ was not yet revealed to him in the matter that he came and accomplished. But that is the matter of the gospel. The timing of the gospel was the revelation of the testator. 
the surety and the substitute. When you really want to talk about timing, you have to talk about the appearance of the testator, of the surety, of the substitute. Because that's what all the scriptures were looking forward to and were testifying of. Even angels were looking to see what time this Christ would come and be revealed. And when he came and died, then the distribution clause of all the benefits of that will and testament kicked in for all of God's people of all time. Okay? Once the will has kicked in for distribution, then all who are the beneficiaries will receive all that is written in it for them. And that happened when the Lord died on Mount Calvary. And it is free and it is amen and we are done and God be praised. Don't go in the tent with Hagar. Let us go before the Lord in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we bless you. We thank you again for the words that have been spoken this morning. I pray that you will grant your people understanding of the supremacy of Christ in all matters of salvation, not just as one who made salvation possible, but he being the salvation. As his name says, the Lord is salvation. You shall call his name Jesus because he shall save his people from their sins. And that's what he did. He saved them. He justified them. We thank you for the testimony of the gospel that you gave us through the life of Abraham, how Abraham was called a righteous man apart from his own works, but looking forward to the coming Messiah. We thank you for the testimony of Abraham going in the tent with Hagar, Sarah's maiden servant, maid servant, and that is the testimony of the law and of things that we should not try to do as God's people, to go in the tent and try to bring to ourselves the promise of salvation by our own works. All of God's children bear the testimony of Isaac. They identify with Isaac. They identify with Sarah as their mother. They identify with the Jerusalem above that is free. We thank you for that testimony. We pray, Lord, that people see the difference between law and grace. Because there is a real difference, one has to be cast out as Hagar and her son were cast out. We thank you, Lord, to be called the children of the free. Be with us always. May you bring us again around this message and continue to hear and be blessed and grow in the truth of Christ. We pray in his precious name. Amen. All right, good people. Stay out of the tent.